You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Carbach Brewing Company presents Sports Talk 790 Astroline. Astroline. The official off-season show of Astros baseball. This is where we talk about your Astros. Join the show. Post your questions and comments on social media. Just be sure to hashtag Astroline. That ball is gone. From Plucker's Wing Bar on Shepherd. Sports Talk 790 Astroline starts now. Yep, we are at Plucker's, and it is a good night. Uh, I hope you recognize the voice. I am Jeff Blum. We are in Plucker's on Shepherd, and uh, it's going to be a unique night. It's a TV night on radio because I've got my good friend, my crutch, the man <laughs> that I lean on constantly throughout the course of the season. Todd Callis is here. How you doing, TK? Good to see you, Blummer. How's everything? Everything is very good. Uh, this night, Astroline is being brought to you again by Carbach Brewing, and it is a special night for me. TK gets to come inside the clubhouse a little bit, so to yes. speak, because uh, I am here with a very good friend, and the reason he's a very good friend is because we got to hang out in the clubhouse for many years. Ladies and gentlemen, Lance Berkman. How you doing, Lance? I'm doing good. Thank you. It is good to have you on. What I love is that you showed up in uh, in your baseball gear, but it's not your standard baseball gear. Where did right. you just show up from? Yeah, I just came straight from practice. As a matter of fact, we were right in the middle of a drill that we were doing, working on our <laughs> bunt coverages and our first and third defense. And I looked at my watch and I said, oh, I got to go. So I <laughs> handed it off to my assistant coach, Andy Pettit. And That's a lot of trust. Yeah, and uh, he's running practice in, in my stead. So. <laughs> Do you think that the players were excited about that, or were they upset? They were you probably left? excited because I was I was getting a little irritated, especially <laughs> with some of my younger guys, because we we try to run this bunt scrimmage where, you know, I just flip it up there and all they got to do is get a bunt down, so it give us a realistic look and and what we're trying to do bunt defensive, bunt defense wise, mm-hmm. if that's a phrase, and they can't get a bunt down, so it's like foul ball after foul ball, and I made them run and Lance. tried to refocus them. So, Lance, anyway. Lance, we don't bunt anymore. <laughs> well, we still bunt in high school because it's still a good play. Because the, the nine times out of ten, it ends up in the right field corner, and it's a merry-go-round. So. Force the defense That's to right. make some plays. Exactly. When's the season starting? Are you guys right around the corner? Yeah, tomorrow. So our first game is tomorrow night, and uh, we have game tomorrow night and a game Friday night, and then the next week we'll be uh, in a tournament. So – uh, it's it's upon us. How's the team looking? Uh, we look okay. We'll, we should be okay for our level. We've we've uh, we've got a pretty solid starting nine, and you know the bench. Uh, we don't have. We, I think we have 15 guys on the whole team, so including one PO. So we've got really 14 players, and um, but our but but we got a good squad. Puts a lot of pressure on the manager. How do you how do you manage those guys and convince them to go all nine every day? <laughs> Well, we only have to play seven, which is what I've been, I've been advocating for that, that at the major true. league level for a long time. Uh, okay. So, 
it, it, it definitely, um, if you can't concentrate for seven innings, then you, you, you yeah. probably need to be medicated. Well, there was a lot of times I think we had trouble concentrating for nine. I know that for sure, hanging out with you on the bench. What? <laughs> <laughs> well, it was mostly because you were playing. I wasn't. I was sitting back watching the show, waiting for my, my closer appearance. Yeah, like just trying the to go nastiest face. pitcher. Go ahead. You yeah. got him, Jeff. I'll go, I'll go ahead and wear that one. Are you enjoying coaching? I mean, I, you're, you're still doing it, but do you enjoy it? Oh, absolutely, yeah. I mean, I, I really um, enjoy teaching the game, enjoy being around the kids, and uh, more than anything else, I enjoy being in a position where you can kind of speak into their lives and help mold them as human beings and not just as baseball players. So, For you, uh, reminiscing with your buddy to your right, Blummer, kind of brings back some memories, I would think, some good times in the Houston Astros clubhouse and on the field. Oh, no question. I mean, one of the all-time great teammates, except for when he turned around and hit the game-winning homer against us in the <laughs> oh, World man. Series. But I other than that, away from that, yeah, thing. he was uh, just one of the all-time greats. So that's the, the, the biggest thing, you know, about being on a team and spending all those years with a lot of guys that are just great guys. That's what you miss the most is the camaraderie mm-hmm. and the time. You know, you certainly don't miss the game. But you, you miss the, you know, the interaction with your teammates and the friendships that you make over the course of, uh, of your career. So... We've had a baggie come in the booth a few times last year. Craig Biggio has joined us at uh, various times. And to keep it all in the family here, you're going to be part of the AT&T crew at certain times That's this right. year, yeah. right? Yeah, hey, how about that? Yep. <laughs> Talked you into it. Yeah, yeah. We got a little six-game stint, yep. so I'm looking forward to doing some of that. That'll be great. We're yeah. looking forward to it. What, what made you decide to take advantage of that opportunity? Well, I mean, I guess just uh, – Why didn't you do it in 2013-14? I could have really used some help <laughs> during those years. They're losing 111, yeah. man. Yeah. You know, I think um, for one thing, you know, now that I've been out for several – you know, when you, when you play, you don't ever get to travel. You don't get to do anything. And during the summer, so for the past four or five years, you know, we've taken family vacations and gone to do all the things that you didn't get to do when you were, yep. when you were playing. So – We've kind of done all that stuff. I have a, a my oldest daughter's a senior in high school, so she'll be graduating going to college this year. And we're going to be around Houston a lot more during the course of the summer. So it was coincidental. Reed happened to call me and say, hey, would you be interested in doing this? At the same time where we're going to be a little bit closer to home. And I thought, well, why not? You know, I enjoy watching the game and, you know, let's just get to experience something new and um, – and hopefully have some fun uh, watching some baseball and, and commenting on it. So. It, it is. And, it, you know, what? It, it's it, it's an interesting time to be an Astro fan. It's an interesting time. But I keep telling everybody, this team makes my job incredibly easy. Now, leading up to you being in the booth, have you been around these guys at all? Have you had a chance to get in the clubhouse or on the field, watch BP and talk to these guys? Yeah, a little bit. I think the, the guy that I probably know the best or have been around the most is, uh, is, is George Springer. So, um, but I do have a, a decent feel like I've had an opportunity to interact with uh, Carlos Correa we, and uh, Jose Altuve. Both have done uh, a charity speaking event for a ministry that I'm really involved in. I've had a chance to – I was actually the, the awesome. interviewer, and they were the, you know, they were the talent oh, being interviewed. And life. so uh, it, was, it was great. And I've had a chance to be around that clubhouse a little bit. And the one thing that strikes me is it seems like they, they really have – a great uh, feel in that clubhouse, kind of like we had. You know, we're yep. just everybody gets along, everybody's cheering for each other. You know, you 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 really uh, they're easy guys to root for. So it, it seems to be great. And look forward to maybe getting uh, getting to know those guys a little bit better, being around the team a little bit more this year. That was breaking news, by the way, that Lance is going to join us on. Yeah, uh, we didn't set that yeah. up. Yeah. Well, well, that's, yeah, I mean, that's big time. That is that that, yeah, there, that's a new story. <laughs> um, hey, what about the success of this team the last few years? You guys kind of set the mark and really. 
uh, as the Killer Bees develop quite a run there. To see it carry forward with this group as a person who played in this organization for the number of years he did must be very exciting for you to see. Yeah, it's just, you know, this, this group is, uh, I, I mean, obviously they've, they've accomplished more than we were ever able to, and largely because it's the best team the Astros have ever fielded. And so uh, it's just great to see not only the power arms, but hitters up and down the lineup. I mean, if you got Brian McCann, who I know has moved on, but if you've got him hitting eighth or ninth in your lineup, you've yeah. got a pretty salty group of guys. That's a deep lineup. Yeah, so that's, uh, it's fun to watch uh, as a hitter just to, you know, you could tune in at any point in the Astro lineup and enjoy watching somebody hit. You don't have the old, like, well, you know, after it gets past the fifth or sixth hitter, you know, you're just praying for the lineup to flip back over unless Jeff's That's hitting messed down there. That's yeah, <laughs> you, you did that on purpose because I hit seventh <laughs> all my years with the with the Houston Astros. So no, but it, it it's fun just to to watch these guys and they're 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 very talented guys and they're exciting. You know, there's the thing I think that that stands out to me is that. This is an Astro team that's got speed and power. So, I mean, there's a couple different ways they can beat you. They got good hitters. It's not just – I remember there was a one iteration there kind of before they got really good where it was kind of an all-or-nothing approach where yeah. they hit a bunch of homers, but they'd also strike out a bunch. And, you know, you had those spells where you'd have droughts uh, when, when it wasn't clicking. But it seems like this group – They've assembled some really good hitters. They put the ball in play. They use their speed, and then they can also uh, drive the ball to the ballpark uh, a bunch. So it makes a makes for an exciting brand of offensive baseball. Did you realize when you came into the big leagues, because you came in 98, 99? 99, 99 yeah. was your rookie year. That was my rookie year also. But did you realize when you were coming in that uh, what Biggio and Bagwell had laid down as far as an atmosphere of what Houston baseball has become, did you realize when you came in that you were going to kind of continue that 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 solid foundation of playing hard playing gritty playing every day and staying local because that's how it, it kind of feels like it's come back full circle and that's why baggy's a little more engaged that's why biz is a little more engaged because this style of baseball is really what you guys set up in the late 90s yeah i think when you're a young player you don't have the perspective that it takes sometimes to realize kind of what you're you know what you're a part of but looking back and 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 as i even when i was still playing in houston one of the things i appreciated is that there was this connection with the former players even going back to like nolan ryan and mike scott and glenn davis and those guys and you terry Poole and craig reynolds would be around There's and, some good ones you know they kind of you hand that group jose cruz obviously was one of yep. our coaches and so you, phil garner was our manager so you had this connection sort of with the older astro teams that had passed on and with with Craig and Jeff, they just continued that, and we were trying to pass that along. And then you had a little bit of an interruption there where the thing kind of blew up and new ownership <laughs> came in. But I think one thing that Reed's done such a good job of, Reed Ryan, that is, is recognizing the value of the history of a franchise. And he's worked extremely hard to try to recreate that connection with the team's past, which is uh, which has been great. There's been a lot of good players that have played for Houston over the years. So I think he's done a tremendous job of that, and I think um, – you know, uh, they, they they have invested in making that history a bigger deal, and it's paid off with this current group, and, and they feel like they're tied to something and not just floating around on an island. So, Longtime Astro, I, I know from 2001 through 2008, you averaged 153 games a year. You went to the post every day, had a couple of knee issues later on, but when you look at this current schedule with the more with more off days now, I think you were joking about the seven inning game at the major league <laughs> level. But do you wish that you had that opportunity to have a, an extended schedule where you were able to rest a little more in between, or was that just the way you knew it 
as a player at the, in those days where you just went to the post and, and grinded it out? Every yeah, day? I mean, uh, that's my attitude is let's just get it over with. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. I mean, dragging the season out like that. But, you know, I do think it's helpful uh, whenever you can give give guys a blow here or there and really more, more mental than physical. I mean, that's – having one day off in the middle of – 30 games is not really going to do you a whole lot of good physically, but mentally just having a night where you don't have to be on and be competing. Uh, I think that that more than anything else is, is beneficial to guys. And you guys were built for it too. That era that we keep talking about in the late nineties and the early two thousands, you guys were literally built to, to last 162 games. It was just whether or not the manager was going to give that to you. What kind of preparation, since spring training is coming up and starting, actually, I believe, tomorrow for these guys, what kind of preparation did you do in the offseason when you were a player? Mostly it was concerned with just trying to get into somewhat of decent physical shape. I mean, I didn't, I didn't worry a lot about hitting. I didn't worry about my arm being in shape because I felt like when I got to spring training, there was plenty of time to – Because you didn't use it? Right, yeah. So I really <laughs> never had to throw, so – but, but – yeah, just the skill part of the game, I feel like there's plenty of time in spring training to get oh my get that going. Speaking of shortening things, what you're talking about is you, you, you could easily get 60 to almost 100 ABs in, yeah, in spring if you wanted absolutely. to. Absolutely. To me, if they really wanted to help the players, they'd, they'd go with about a three-week spring training. Unfortunately, you've got the pitchers, which the whole thing is, revolves around. Spring training is all about getting the pitchers well-fed and on the golf course in, in plenty of as time. Soon, yeah, as soon as <laughs> possible, yeah. yes. So, you know, that's that would be a, a great benefit to position guys is if they didn't have to play, you know, be, be in spring training for six weeks. But knowing that you had that six weeks, I didn't do a lot of that kind of thing in the offseason. It was mainly just, you know, trying to lift weights, get strong, get healthy, and, and um, you know, be in, be in good shape when, you, when the spring training rolled around. A so. couple guys here who excelled to the major league level as dual personality switch hitters, right-handed hitter, left-handed <laughs> hitter. You, you were originally one of the rare guys that would hit right-handed and throw left-handed. Is that correct? That's right. I'm a natural right-handed hitter and a left-handed thrower. Uh, you wouldn't know that by watching me swing right-handed because <laughs> really I was more of a hacker right-handed and a hitter left-handed. Um, but <laughs> – you know, just I think doing it my whole life, you just develop a better feel left-handed. And, um, you know, I, I guess my dad figured when I was a young kid, if he can throw left-handed, he ought to be able to hit left-handed. <laughs> so that's kind of how I got started hitting left-handed. And he knew that that was an odd combination because you're limited where you can play as a left-handed thrower, not like this guy who plays all over the field. You know, you can only play in the outfield or first base. And right-handed hitters only or at that time were kind of a dime a dozen so it was like you know just trying to do something to give me a little bit of an advantage um, as I was moving along in my career. So you started as a young kid switch hitting. I don't believe we've ever had this conversation having switch hit I didn't realize that you had started so young because I started my freshman year in college. Yeah which is incredible that well, you were able yeah, to pick that I up. I needed the extra tool. <laughs> I, I didn't have a very good one. I needed a little bit extra so I had to switch hit. Uh, but I didn't realize you started at such a young age. Yeah, yeah, no, my, uh, I mean, really and truly, I've got pictures of me, and I can remember just dimly, I had this big red Snoopy bat that my dad would, nice. he would throw to me, and he'd make me, you know, like switch my hands around. And yep. So, really, my whole life, I've been, you know, kind of going back and forth. And um, I've, I've, for a long time, I would hit, you know, one at bat a game, like if, if I started the game right-handed, I'd go left regardless of the handedness of the pitcher. So yeah. it would just be right, left, right, left, right, left. Because there's not too left. many left-handed yeah. pitchers out there. Yeah, and so 
Um, I, it wasn't until I got to high school that I really was the switch hitter where if it's a right-handed pitcher, I'm hitting left-handed, and a left-handed pitcher, I'm hitting right-handed. But the, the, and the other thing that was interesting about you and your swing, and it's something I felt that I did too, is my right-handed and left-handed swings were completely different. Right. And you were a different hitter right-handed as opposed to left-handed. Why was that? Is it just, like you said, you just right-handed, you just went out there and tried to just annihilate baseballs as hard as you could, right? Yeah. Well, I think some of it has to do with, uh, you know, your throw, being a left-handed thrower, Mm-hmm. I had a better feel for how to move the bat correctly through the zone left-handed as opposed to right-handed. Um, I, I was way too steep. You know, if I could go back, I yep. wish I could go back. Knowing what I know now about swing mechanics and having to teach it to kids and whatnot, mm-hmm. I, I feel like I could fix my right-handed swing maybe maybe sooner. I started to, towards the end of my career, it kind of started to dawn on me what I was doing and what I needed to do to fix yeah. it. But I wish I'd have known that when I was about – you know, 20 years old have been helpful. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think that was the biggest difference between my two swings it just is the is my swing plane. Left-handed was really ideal. Right-handed, yeah, it, was. It, was, it was steep. You know, it was really steep in and out of the in strike and zone. The zone yep. and, uh, and so, consequently, didn't have nearly the margin of error. Did you, were there any switch hitters that you watched growing up or that you tried to emulate or anything like that, just try and pick up on things? Yeah, not really. It's weird. I grew up in Austin, and we were kind of in that, you know, we didn't – that was back before cable TV was huge and yeah, there was old. no ESPN. Yeah. yeah. So we didn't really get the Ranger games, and we never got the Astro games. I, you know, I grew up watching UT play because that was kind of okay. the only game in town. Um, so I didn't really – I mean, I, don't, I wasn't a fan of pro baseball really as a young kid because we didn't have a team. I, I liked Don Mattingly because he was a first baseman, and yep. at that time, like 84, 5, and 6, he was kind of the premier guy in the big leagues at that position. And uh, so I followed him a little bit. But in terms of like really watching guys or studying – pro hitters I, I never really did a whole lot of that um that is good stuff and we are going to take our first break you're listening to astro line presented by carbach brewing company we are live from pluckers wing bar downtown houston at 1400 shepherd drive and we're going to be right back we've got lance berkman on for the full hour the off season is here and that means it's the perfect time for talking baseball over a great beer conversations with agents with players and other teams so pop open a love street blonde or hopadillo ipa and discuss all of the hot stove wheeling and dealing astroline astroline presented by carbock brewing company that's certainly what we want to hear and if you're looking for a great place for a cold one head on over to carbock brewing where we're open seven days a week for lunch dinner and of course some great brews so crack one open but cold locally brewed carbock carbock brewing proud supporter of the houston astros with plenty of player interaction and warm weather spring training is something every baseball fan needs to experience so get to west palm beach and see your houston astros in action at the fit team ballpark of the palm beaches while you're here don't miss our 20 craft breweries and 47 miles of beautiful beaches. Start planning your trip at thepalmbeaches.com for the best way to experience Florida. Astro Line, the official off-season hot stove show for the Houston Astros is presented by Carbach Brewing Company, and we are live from Plucker's Bar. You heard everybody clapping. It's good to have people here watching and listening as we have Lance Berkman on as a guest. I've got my good buddy TK sitting next to me. And in 10 days, the Astros spring training opener will happen. I know that it is going to be Valentine's Day tomorrow, but uh, in 10 days, TK and I will bring 
the first TV broadcast of the Houston Astros as the radio engineer Matt Bolts fish eyes me a little bit. It will be on the radio, so we got to pump that a little <laughs> bit, but it's going to be a good time. The Astros spring training, like I said, 10 days away. You can see your Houston Astros in action as the 2019 spring training schedule gets underway February 23rd. That'll be at the Fit Team Ballpark of the Palm Beaches for the best way to experience Florida. Visit thepalmbeaches.com. I'm looking forward to being down there, TK. How about you? Yeah, well, I'm ready to go. Uh, this week was kind of the tipping point where I started to get some work done and start to get <laughs> fired up for our broadcast, and uh, it'll be a lot of fun. I guess uh, 23rd will be the first game. First telecast will be the 24th. Yep. And then we'll do our Astro Line show together on the 26th, and then our first telecast together will be the 27th. Esh is going to fill in for a couple games. So can't wait to get rolling, brother. Yeah, it's going to be a good time. The ball club, what's nice is that we've only had to maybe – Get a couple guys, get adjusted to a couple of guys. Michael Brantley, a big offseason uh, signing. Wade Miley just signed the other day, but we've got some young guys coming along. But I want to reach back a little bit into the offseason and talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame. There is a new induction class going in, but uh, with Lance sitting next to me, and I, I asked him, I said, hey, man, do you, do you mind if we talk a little bit about the Hall of Fame? Because myself in particular, you know, it, you're kind of selfish in, in my, my sense because I got to play with some great ball players, And a lot of guys that I've had as teammates have gone into the Hall of Fame. Vladimir Guerrero, Greg Maddox, Trevor Hoffman, uh, and Biggio and Bagwell. And my assumption was that there was going to be another killer bee in the, in the vicinity of possibly getting in there. And Lance Berkman got 1.2% of the vote, which I cannot believe. And you had made a comment. You talked to, you know, you made a comment, said that you were a little bit shocked that you, you are not on the ballot, at least moving forward, to get a little more consideration. What were the expectations? First of all, what was it like being on a Hall of Fame ba a ballot? Yeah. Uh, am I on? Oh, there we go. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, it, it's good. You know, the, it really, the, the whole process had zero impact on my life. So yeah. I was like, you know. Yeah, it but was, it's an it honor. Not, you yeah, played it, well enough to be considered. Yeah, no, it was great. It really was. It was nice to be on there. And, you know, I didn't have any an expectation of going into the Hall of Fame. I didn't, you mm -hmm. know, I thought that I was probably a little bit short of, of being a Hall of Fame type player numbers-wise. Um, but in light of some of the guys that have stayed on the ballot and that have eventually gotten in, you know, I thought I probably deserved to get more than 1% of the vote. So uh, I was a little bit surprised at how that part of it turned out. Um, but, it, you know, it, it's not like I felt like I got robbed out of, you know, being <laughs> in the Hall of Fame. So uh, a little disappointed, but at the same time, I understand you know, how that happens and, and why it happened. You know, it's just amazing to me. I, in this day and age of analytics, I really thought that that was going to kind of play into the, that you might get a little more attention. It was kind of shocking to me. And just looking at OPS Plus, I'm not sure if you're familiar with that yet. No. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not well, brushed up on that Yeah, one. you sit enough in this seat and, and work with TK and work with the Astros, you understand what OPS Plus is, and it's slugging and on-base percentage. And then the plus kind of puts everybody on an even playing field. So in, in, in the, they shift a little bit for some of the guys uh, in, in our generation because the numbers are a little more fluid. But in looking back and seeing that Edgar Martinez gets into the Hall of Fame, stayed on the ballot for as long as he did, eventually gets voted in, the last time I looked at the OPS Plus numbers, he was at 147. Last time I looked at your OPS Plus numbers, you were at 151. And you look at other guys who are still on the ballot in Todd Helton, Jeff Kent, uh, Fred McGriff, Gary Sheffield, Larry Walker, all those guys are right at 140 or a little bit below. So it's kind of shocking to me that, like you said, maybe not at the anticipation of being in 
the Hall of Fame, but the anticipation of maybe lingering a little bit on the ballot to get a little more consideration. Do you, do you read into any of that or maybe why that why that happened where you get overlooked, so to speak, as far as staying on the ballot a little bit longer? Yeah, I mean, I think there's a couple things involved. I mean, first of all, Houston's not a very, I mean, even though it's a big city, the media market is not not huge in terms of, you know, like playing on the East Coast or the West Coast. So, yep. I mean, I think if I had the same career for the Yankees or the Red Sox, I mean, I'd still be on the ballot. I don't think there'd be any, any question about that. Um, you know, I think also there's a lot of the, a lot of the voters are still in the mode of, well, if this guy is essentially a corner player, whether it be first, third, left or right fielder, um, you know, you got to have 400 plus homers and you got to have a certain number of RBIs. You know, the counting stats, uh, I think, are where that really, you know, that got me. I think the percentages uh, are right up there with anybody uh, that, that's in that building. But I think, you know, just the career longevity, which is a factor and, um you know, positionally not being a center fielder or shortstop or, you know, being being able to play in the middle of the diamond, uh, that, that had an impact. So I get it. I mean, I understand um, all of that. It, probably more frustrating than anything else is just the performance-enhancing drug issue because, yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's a lot of guys that I know that, that the reason they were able to put up some of the numbers that, that, that they did is because they had some help. And so at the end of the day, no matter – what other writers think or people think I can, I know that I go to sleep every night knowing that every homer I hit every RBI you know every guy I drove in every hit I ever got is you know that's me doing it so um yeah I can and I can, I can live with that and um you know we'll see what happens I don't know if I if I don't even know how the veterans committee thing works but maybe 10 years from now yep. you know somebody takes another look at it and and it becomes more attractive at that point well, I, no doubt. I mean, three times you're in the top five in MVP voting, and that's three more times than a guy who was voted in uh, this year by the Veterans Committee and Harold Baines getting in. So I, I think you certainly would have a shot. But the PED era did so much damage to guys like yourself for a lot of reasons. And I think especially this year, it was a stacked deck against you. You have all those guys in the PED era who have not been voted in, but they're getting more and more support. You have 10 slots you're allowed to vote on the ballot. Plus, you have all those other guys, four guys getting voted in this year. That's a big class. So you came on to the ballot at a terrible time, and I think part of it is because of that PED glut, and certainly uh, you deserve to be on there for a few years, and it's, it's a shame that it happened. Well, I appreciate that. Maybe I should uh, sign like a one-day contract, have an at-bat, and reset my five <laughs> years and go. go on the ballot You know, you five go. years later. So no, <laughs> I, I, You and Roy certainly deserve to be on the ballot for a while. Uh, Lou Whitaker is another guy who was on the ballot one year. David Cohn, Kenny Lofton. There are a lot oh, of man. quality Seriously. players. Who, Jim Edmonds. I mean, Jim there's, Edmonds. Yeah, there's, yeah, there's a lot of guys that – you know, I mean, and it just, too, it depends on what, what, you're, what you're after. I mean, I take, a, you know, n nothing against Andrew Jones because I think he's the greatest center fielder that I ever saw play. But, you know, from a hitting standpoint, like if, if batting st stats count, I, I just think of the guys that I was, when they came to the plate in big situations, like you're like, oh, no, like I don't want that guy at the plate. Yep. And then there's other guys that you're like, okay, you know, he can be pitched to. So I think – the view of what makes a Hall of Fame player is different for everybody, and, yep. and every you know it's so subjective. Every writer has that, um, you know. Not, not, and again, I don't want anybody to misunderstand. I'm not taking anything away from Andrew, but he was kind of an all-or-nothing guy at the plate. Yep. And the reason I think he's you know still on the ballot, I believe he is, yes. is is because he just he was an inc incredible defender. Right. And so, 
um, just the standards of that you're applying offensively obviously are going to be different based on their you know your your defensive position um, and it's just it's it, the process is is there's there is no standard it's it's kind of like whatever <laughs> anybody wants it to be so um, anyway it's it's in the past now and you just move forward and you had a hell of a career yeah thanks yeah. <laughs> I, I don't want that to be overlooked. Yeah. I know you said it didn't impact you at all, but it must be nice, and I don't know if you even realize that. You got a lot of national love because of the comparisons with you and Edgar, who did get in this year. And right. Edgar didn't play a position like you did, and Edgar's numbers and your numbers aren't that far apart. He had a great promotional campaign going on in Seattle for really the last five or ten years. It, whenever we went up to Seattle, Edgar HOF was the password for the Internet. I mean, they did everything to promote this guy. And um, – you know, I, I just think it's nice that you got some recognition on MLB Network and other places. I don't know if you were even aware of that. That really said, hey, if Edgar's getting in, Lance certainly deserves consideration and, and should stay on the ballot. Right. Yeah, and that's nice, you know. Um, but ultimately, it's just like anything else. I mean, if you want to be in the Hall of Fame, hit some more homers and drive some more guys <laughs> in. I mean, that's all there is to it. So <laughs> It's amazing. After what you've done, you say you didn't do enough. Yeah, but, I mean, that's, that's an, the ultimate honor. And you talked about it last segment, talking about the Astros and Reed Ryan and what they've really done with Reed coming in is really starting to recognize how great this organization really is. And one of those steps that they've taken to recognize those guys is an Astros Hall of Fame. They're going to turn home run alley, I believe it is, into that walk of fame, so to speak, and really recognize some of the guys throughout the organization who have left a lasting impact, not only on the city, but the ball club, and put up incredible numbers. I'm sure someday they will be calling you to be in that situation. I hope so. Get better. Well, I, I'm going to have to start. We'll have to start your campaign there now. Yeah, let's start. You know, and that's why you came back. I don't know how to hashtag, so, so maybe you're going to have to do that. We can work on that. Part. Okay. Yeah, we'll hashtag it. You don't want Baggy's hashtag. Baggy came in the booth, and he got a hashtag. It was O S word. Oh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But you, I know that you won't you won't do that. No, It'll no, be no. like hashtag dad gum it right. or, or dog <laughs> right. on it or mm -hmm. something like that. But, uh, you know, how, how important is that to you, having played in this organization, having been from, the, you know, the local area, going to Rice University? How important is it to recognize the history of an organization? And are you looking forward to that moment when you do get recognized by the organization? Oh, sure. I mean, everybody wants to – I think it's uh, – well, I say – I mean, you know, it's it's – it is neat to have a baseball home, so to speak, yep. you know, and have an organization that you identify with and have uh, an organization that values your contributions and that you can feel good about having helped along the way. And so uh, I know that, that some not everybody gets to experience that, but I think that's one of the things that you give up when you, you know, go into free agency and you're bouncing around in different places. It's just like, who's my, like, yeah. what's, where's my mothership, so to speak? And the Astros will always be that for me. I mean, I spent the, the, the bulk of, well, really, I mean, most of all my career, except for maybe just one year of production uh, for the Cardinals. But for most of everything I did was in baseball was for the Astros. And uh, so it's great to have that feeling of man you know this is kind of my baseball home yeah we are get glad that the houston area and the houston astros are your home it's good to have you back it's good to have lance on this is the official off-season hot stove show of the houston astros it of course is presented by carbach brewing company live from from pluckers you can join the conversation by using the hashtag AstroLine. Lance will not be getting on that but on social media use that hashtag AstroLine, and we're going to be right back with lance and tk 
The offseason is here, and that means it's the perfect time for talking baseball over a great beer. Conversations with agents, with players, and other teams. So pop open a Love Street Blonde or Hopadillo IPA and discuss all of the hot stove wheeling and dealing. Astroline. Astroline presented by Carbach Brewing Company. That's certainly what we want to hear. And if you're looking for a great place for a cold one, head on over to Carbach Brewing, where we're open seven days a week for lunch, dinner, and, of course, some great brews. It's a crack one open, but cold locally brewed Carbach. Carbach Brewing, proud supporter of the Houston Astros. With plenty of player interaction and warm weather, spring training is something every baseball fan needs to experience. So, see you later! to West Palm Beach and see your Houston Astros in action at the 15 ballpark of the Palm Beaches. While you're here, don't miss our 20 craft breweries and 47 miles of beautiful beaches. Start planning your trip at thepalmbeaches.com for the best way to experience Florida. Back. We are back at Pluckers. And we are feeling it. I am Jeff Blum. I am joined by, with Todd Callis, and I am joined with Lance Berkman on tonight's show on Astro Line. Is this the last one here in Houston before we head down to Florida? Yep, rest are down to spring training. We're going to take a, the show on the road, and I think we're actually going to host one down there towards the end of the month, uh, the 26th? That is correct. I know we keep talking about this, but until I'm actually there, I don't think it actually sticks in my head what the schedule <laughs> actually is. And we're actually going to call a, a game on uh, on radio, Todd and I. So that'll be a lot of fun to and do. And Julia. And Julia, too? Apparently. That's, oh, yeah. my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. Three, three booth. Three-person booth. TV taking over radio. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. You mean I don't have to wear a suit and tie for that one? Uh, it's up to Boltsy. Boltsy, we got to wear a suit and tie? <laughs> He's not paying He's attention. No, do, you, no do you have a collection of suits left over? Yeah, I got it. I can find a coat or tie if I need it. If you, I'll let you borrow something. I don't know if I have it in extra thick. But. Yeah. Because <laughs> the fans are just joining us, Lance Berkman's going to be on a few telecasts this yeah. year. So. Yes, he is. Yeah. So. Uh, you know what's funny? In, in talking about the suits and ties, and I, I, I don't think I've ever talked to TK about this, but. I know you hate wearing them. Yes, that is true. <laughs> but a part of it is because when I got traded here in 2002, the manager, Jimmy Williams. Oh, man. <laughs> let, I don't know if many people know that you got a talking to. I did. I got a stern talking to you. You did. You got pulled out of, like, the line getting on the bus because Jimmy Williams was old school to the point where when we went on the road, it was suit and tie on the plane to and from wow. no matter what time we were getting in or leaving. And on the road, this one, this is the one that got me, slacks yeah, and collared shirt tucked in from the get-go. If you're walking around downtown looking for a cup of coffee, slacks. Come on. And I, I literally had to go out and buy, like, a whole new wardrobe to accommodate yeah, I mean, the I'm not rules. a banker for Pete's sake. <laughs> <laughs> but that's the thing. Yeah, that's how we are in the booth. You want right. to be from Main Street, not Wall Street, yeah. when, you're, when you're in the booth. Casual, yeah. enjoy the game. No jeans on any road trip. No, wow. not even close. I've never so heard what, of that. I don't know what you were doing. Were you wearing, like, one of those Dumb and Dumber suits that was, like, powder <laughs> blue with, like, the ruffled? No. No, what it was was my coat. Like, I had on a pair of, of khaki pants that did, that weren't pleated. You know, and so he thought they were like too much like jeans and not enough like too casual. Yeah, too casual. I'm like, I don't, I don't like pleats. I think that's the, and pleats are out. Pleats right? are I mean, out. That, you're you're ahead of the fashion it, game in that sense, no doubt. And so anyway, he he didn't like that, and I don't think the jacket he considered a sport coat, and so yeah, he was he was well burlap technically isn't a fabric, right? No, yeah. <laughs> it was a horse blanket. Yeah, it was. Shoot, uh, half, the, half the time, I've heard stories about guys on flights that would take the uh, airplane blanket, oh yeah, throw it over their arm, and just kind of 
you know, Deke, the manager, like, this is my jacket, then it'd just be a blanket. <laughs> you know, it's just, it, it's one of those things where when you play in the major leagues and you got a, you know, you're playing 162 game schedule, there's enough to worry about, enough right. like nitpicky stuff that takes your emotional energy oh. to have that one more thing where you're just like, you got to be kidding me, is it's just an irritant. Yeah, no, you're, you're preaching to the choir, and you'd be happy to know now that uh, not for TK and I, but for the players, it's jeans and a collared shirt, and, I mean, just a decent pair of shoes, and they can go. Yeah, that's beautiful. Everywhere. Because, On the I mean, flights, honestly, yeah. like how many times do you really even get seen in public Never. when you're landing at 3 in the morning? You know, like you're, it seems like every flight lands at 2.30 or 3 in the morning, yes. and you're, like, suited up. For what? Well, I mean, especially now because a lot of these games are being played on the West Coast. Yeah. So, I mean, we've got some late arrivals, some early takeoffs. It's, it's unbelievable. It's crazy. Uh, who, who is your favorite manager to play for with the Houston Astros? Uh, Gar, no question. Really? Yeah, I enjoy Durker, too. I really like Larry, and he was great to me when I was a young player. And just, you know, he was the kind of guy that just let you do your deal and didn't have a whole lot of – you know, wasn't meddling. I mean, he was just kind of like, hey, you guys know how to play, so go do it. But Gar was great because uh, I feel like his personality really impacted the ball club in a positive way. Like, I think he, I think I, we all sort of adopted his mentality of uh, playing with a little bit of an edge, playing a little bit angry, you know. Mm -hmm. um, and that's tough to do. That's really uh, takes a skillful manager to give his personality, so to speak, to the players. Uh, and, and not do it in a, in a fake way. I mean, it's a very authentic with, with Gar. And uh, so he, we really just, you know, all the guys loved playing for him. So, How would you describe your managerial style or as a head coach now? Uh, I probably, I don't know, that's a good question. <laughs> I, I tell people, you know, I'm, I, I try to be like the Christian Coach Graham, which, you know, I'm, I'm hard on those guys, but I don't use any profanity and I don't degrade them personally, but... I definitely demand a high level of performance out of them because I'm a believer that, you know, especially with these kids, you know, part of the problem is we don't ask enough of them. We don't demand excellence. And so, consequently, we very rarely get it. But I think, you know, you get what you demand from your players. And, and uh, for the most part, we've, we've gotten the best out of our guys because that's the standard that we set. And what's interesting about being inside the Astros clubhouse with you, Biggio, Bagwell, Brad Osmus, uh, and, and some of these guys, as good of players as you guys were, and this is where it's interesting to me that you've become a, a coach of, <laughs> yeah, of bet, young I'll athletes, <laughs> is because there would be days where I'd be sitting there and we'd be, we'd be beat, just beat down in the middle of July or August. And we were going out there, and to a man, you could hear Baggy's mumbling under his breath, and ba the only way Baggy can uh, I hate this game. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> stuff like that. I don't oh, want to yeah. go out there today. And you, there, but you guys would go out and perform. You, you were that guy every once in a while. Oh, no question. So, like, <laughs> yeah. I, go ahead. No, no, no. I think you can expound on it. But I was going to ask you what, how, do, how do you get through that and encourage kids to play the game of baseball because it is hard. It is tough, and uh, you know, it, it's but it's a lot easier when you're playing twice a week as opposed to seven days a week. You know, that's yeah. that's nurture the hope. A, yeah, there's a big difference. And that's my whole deal. Like, we play 40 games basically in a high school season. We play twice, three times a week. I mean, if you can't be excited when you're 16 to 18 years old twice or three times a week to play and go out there and compete, there's something wrong with you. You need to go do something else. Uh, not that there's something wrong with you. I'm just you're in the wrong profession. You just you need to go do something else. So, uh, But it's when you're in the midst of a – 25 straight in August and you're, oh. you know, you're 0 for your last 30 and everybody, I mean, that's where, 
you can get a little bit more grumbly, salty. complaining, salty. <laughs> yeah, the old, that's where the salty vet comes from because you've been through a lot of that stuff. But fundamentally, I think no matter what, you have to. There's got to be a certain joy that you have, and joy is different than happiness. You know, joy is something that's fundamental to your to your person, whereas happiness is a fleeting emotion. Yeah, to and your so, core. like, I think you have to really enjoy the game of baseball in your core, even though there are times when you hate it. Like, you know, I hate this game. Uh, when we it was say all tongue-in-cheek. Yeah, I mean, but we it, all said that because it was just c- complaining is a part of baseball. Sure. But <laughs> fundamentally, you enjoy yeah. being out there and competing and playing the game and the, the intricacies. The one thing that, uh, you know, I try to, you try to explain baseball, and people say, well, it's boring. And I say, well, yeah, well, if you watch two guys play chess – and you don't know anything about the game of chess and how the pieces move, that's boring. Yep. But the more you know about the pieces and the more that you know the strategy behind it, the more intriguing it becomes, and then you can get locked in. And, the, man, it's, it's a beautiful thing. And baseball is the same way. You know, to the casual observer, it moves slower. And, mm-hmm. you know, but when you really understand the nuances of the game and all the little games within a game, that's when it becomes a fascinating thing. And, and that's I try to get the, my kids to – to think about baseball in, in those terms, and it really kind of engages their interest. When you say you're kind of demanding and you talked about Coach Graham, do you see kids initially because they're not, you said they're not expected, there's not as much expected initially, there's a little pushback, but then when you get through whatever that barrier is at the end of the year, they really appreciate how much you push them? Oh, yeah, yeah. I think, um, you know, we all need, I, I needed it. I mean, I needed it coming out of high school, and Coach Graham did that for me, which I will be forever grateful for him uh, for doing that. And, um, you know, I think even at, the, even at the big league level, everybody needs a kick in the rear every once in a while and need, you know, you need to be held accountable to a certain standard of behavior. And, you know, no man's an island. We need each other to, to help us along. And so, um, yeah, I do think that the kids – there's a certain measure of pride that comes from after they've been through a full season and they realize, oh, wait, you know, I can be better than I even thought I could be or I can work harder than, you know, than I thought. I thought I was working hard before. I thought I was concentrating before, but now I understand that that's not the case. So um, I, I think most of our players would, would, would probably say that they've had a, a positive experience and that they uh, have grown in those areas that, that we've asked them to grow. Do you have any any desire to coach further? Oh yeah, I mean, I, I tried to get that Rice job, you know, when Coach Graham left, okay. um, but it didn't work out. So I, I was like, I got a rough twelve months. I mean, yeah. I basically didn't get hired, <laughs> and you know, got kicked off the Hall of Fame ballot, and you and know, now you have to work and with now us. Now, you're now, I'm on TV, now I'm a TV <laughs> yeah, guy. So. No, we're, we're that last knot at the end of the rope. There it like, is. You're holding is, on, like, it. oh, TV. This is my last chance. But uh, <laughs> what, what about at the big league level? That's probably, you know. Yeah. I, would you have any thoughts well, about doing that? Maybe. Like, I, I enjoy working with high-level hitters. That, that's probably, if I had to say, like, where is what I really enjoy the most about coaching, I like to get a guy that, that's got a lot of ability and try to tweak him because they, they can really, they can use what I know. You know, yeah. some, sometimes in, in the high school level, the kids can't really use what I know about hitting because they can't execute the skill at that, at that high level. So, um, I, I, I do see at some point maybe, you know, coaching, I don't know, you know, professional is, it's, it's such a grind. And until my kids get it's, up it's and out of the house, yeah, yeah. I, I don't see myself doing that until, and maybe, maybe just, you know, part-time, but I don't see myself being a full-time pro guy for a while until my kids get up and, and gone. So, uh, speaking of kids, it's, it's a game baseball that has 
every year it seems like it, the games stay in the three hour, three hour five range. And now there's a lot of things that are kind of being bandied about 20 second pitch clock, uh, minimum of three batters being faced by a reliever, different things to try and move the game along. Where do you see the game right now? And they're talking about a universal DH. What are some of, some of the things that are being discussed now? Do you like the ideas? Do you think the game needs to move along and have less dead spaces for a, a younger fan base? Well, that you know, what's, what's silly to me is trying to shorten the game of baseball by seconds here or there. I mean, I think that's a ridiculous concept. Um, you know, you're cutting, you know, at its best, you're cutting five, ten minutes off a baseball game, which is inconsequential. The reason that games used to be quicker is because there used to be more contact. You know, pitchers pitch to uh, contact. Could agree more. You know, balls in play. Yep. That's balls in play is what speeds the game up, not anything else. And so, you know, to me. And, and, and there's a counter, and of course, this is coming from a hitter, so take this with a grain of salt. But in a counterintuitive way, I think if you, if you made the strike zone smaller and forced the pitchers to throw the ball over the middle of the plate more often, you would get more contact and you would actually, the game would, would yes. speed up. Umpires think, well, I'm going to call more strikes, and so I'm going to force the hitter to swing the bat. That never works because as, as major league hitters, you're programmed what's a strike and what you're not you can't make yourself swing at a ball it happens too quick it's not like you go up there and go oh this guy's got a huge zone because yeah, so you I'm recognize gonna... ball or strike early and yeah. It, yeah and it happens so quick there's no way you can have a conscious thought but if you force the pitchers to throw the ball in the middle of the plate hitters are gonna swing at it and there's gonna be contact and the game will speed up contact is what makes you know deep counts and and all this you know picking at the edges those are the things that slow the game down that's why it's different than it used to be i mean guys you know you think back about well you know back in the day the games were two and a half hours yeah because the starting pitcher threw nine innings that was his expectation we didn't have the pitching changes you know the stuff wasn't as as good or crisp because they were in there longer more contact more defense faster ball games you are listening to Lance Berkman. I am Jeff Blum here with Todd Callis. And Astro Line is the official off-season show for the Houston Astros presented by Carbock Brewing. This will be our final break. It's amazing how fast these hours go when you've got talent like Lance Berkman on with you. We'll be right back. One final time from Pluckers. This is the Houston Astros Radio Network. The offseason is here, and that means it's the perfect time for talking baseball over a great beer. Conversations with agents, with players, and other teams. So pop open a Love Street Blonde or Hopadillo IPA and discuss all of the hot stove wheeling and dealing. Astroline. Astroline presented by Carbock Brewing Company. That's certainly what we want to hear. And if you're looking for a great place for a cold one, head on over to Carbock Brewing, where we're open seven days a week for lunch, dinner, and of course, some great brews. So crack one open, but cold locally brewed Carbock. Carbock Brewing, proud supporter of the Houston Astros. With plenty of player interaction and warm weather, spring training is something every baseball fan needs to experience. So, see you later! Get to West Palm Beach and see your Houston Astros in action at the 15 ballpark of the Palm Beaches. While you're here, don't miss our 20 craft breweries and 47 miles of beautiful beaches. Start planning your trip at thepalmbeaches.com for the best way to experience Florida. Hey, this is it. I am Jeff Blum. I'm with Todd Callis and Lance Berkman. We are at Pluckers down on Shepherd. And unfortunately, we've only got a couple more minutes here until we literally pack up shop and send this crew Thanks down, and good to, night. down to <laughs> spring training. Uh, Lance, <laughs> it was good having you on. I, this is a nice little prep to meet TK yeah. and a nice little prep for what you've got coming this season. So thank you very much for being on. 
Oh, I appreciate you having me on. Do you know what a podcast is? Uh, yes, I I'm, do. I'm going to put you on my podcast. Are you really? Yes. That's, that's, so I'm plan honored. on that. I'll give you a phone call and I'll abuse our friendship. But it was great being here with everybody at Pluckers. Thank everybody for coming out. It has been a blast. TK, you got any parting shots? No, looking forward to the season kick it off. We've been talking about it since this show started here at Pluckers eight weeks ago, and now we're finally heading down to spring training next week, so it'll be good. It'll be good. The next Astro line will be on the 21st. You're going to enjoy Steve Sparks, Lauren Blackwell, and their special guest is going to be the Houston Astros manager, A.J. Hinch. So that'll be a good time. Make sure you all tune in. Again, 23rd will be the first radio broadcast for the Houston Astros. 24th will be the television broadcast for the Houston Astros. I will be on with Kevin Eschenfelder and Julia Morales for that show. Uh, are you looking forward to the 2019 season, Lance Bergman? Absolutely. I think, uh, you know, it's hard to, to repeat. So last year it didn't surprise me that, yeah. that they didn't quite make it back. But I think after having been away from the World Series for a year, I think they're going back this year, and I think they have a great chance to win it. That nice. is a beautiful thing. We love hearing that from guys who watch a game like Lance Bergman. We know that he is going to stay engaged. He's got some studying to do. There's a couple <laughs> guys on that roster he's got to check out. We know that Kyle Tucker is one of the younger guys that's going to be coming up, trying to leave an impact on this Astros team. But for Todd Callis, Lance Berkman, and myself, Jeff Blum, we always appreciate the opportunity to be on with Houston fans. So enjoy the rest of the spring. You've been listening to Sports Talk 790 Astroline, the Astros' official off-season show, presented by Carbock Brewing Company. Astroline. On Sports Talk 790, home of the Strohs. <laughs>